Hello and welcome back to the Everything Must Go podcast. Happy New Year. I am Steven and with me is Brandon. This is the first episode of 2022 and we got an extra special guest. Today's special guest is Josh Rezepka. He's a Chicago YouTuber, a trumpeter, and he plays in a traveling group under the street lamp. Josh, welcome to the show. What's up? Happy 2022. Thanks for having me here. Did you do anything wild for the New Year celebration? Uh, I actually played a show with Under the Street Lamp in Arizona. And uh, it was cool. You know, the show was like, the show was, was chill. It was fun. It was like before the countdown and everything. So we didn't actually okay. have to play for New Year's. And then uh, my flights got canceled coming home. So I had to hang out in Arizona an extra 24 hours. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was cool. What about you guys? Man, I went to bed at 10 o'clock. I'm getting old. Just turned 30. So, you know, the, that <laughs> Happy old age. birthday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> old age is starting to show on me. What did you do? I haven't even talked to you about it. What did you do? Um, I didn't do a whole lot, to be honest with you. I went out uh, with a few friends and was back before midnight. <laughs> We're all getting old. <laughs> so, real thrilling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's still a little bit crazy for, uh, you know, New Year's, I think. Yeah. Next yeah. year. Next year will be a proper New Year's party. That's what I think. That's always the hope. I was yeah. honestly surprised even looking at some, like the, the Times Square stuff, like how many people were were there with like the surge of like all the, the oh, cases yeah. and stuff. I was really surprised. And, and like all my friends, like I got called for New Year's shows here in Chicago and all my friends who were playing gigs here in Chicago, they were like all canceled. And I'm like playing in Arizona you know, there's no pandemic in Arizona. There's it's it's not <laughs> happening. In some states, it just isn't happening. They don't have it, and uh, so yeah, that that gig wasn't canceled. <laughs> Let me tease a little bit of what we're gonna be talking about here today. Uh, so we're gonna be talking about how Josh got started with music. We're gonna be talking about uh, his aspirations with content creation. We're gonna talk about having a YouTube niche. And then at the end of the show, we're going to be playing our world-famous game, Movie Critics Must Go, which uh, so far the guest cannot seem to beat either of us. So this is going to be, once again, probably a, a massacre, as it always is whenever we play this game. We're going to win. And then um, as a curveball, I'm going to ask uh, anyone wants to put one of their New Year's resolutions on the show. So I'm going to start here with Josh before we get to music. Any New Year's resolution that you have that you want to be held accountable to right now? I actually made zero New Year's resolutions. <laughs> I know better by now. <laughs> I don't blame you, to be honest with you, especially yeah. with the, the pandemic. I do feel like yeah. I sort of uh, just say, you know what? The world's too crazy. It's kind of hard to have New Year's resolutions. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well one thing I feel like we, because Stephen and I, uh, each year we try to set like yearly goals together. And one thing I think we learned with the pandemic was maybe even simplifying it a little bit and making like quarterly goals. So I kind of did, I did both really. I made some yearly goals for, for things that I wanted and, and some quarterly ones as well. But, um, I, I feel like there is, uh, with, with the whole new year's resolutions, <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, the, the cliche it's, it's out the door in a couple months or a couple weeks even. And, uh, that's one thing I'm trying to avoid but we'll see how it goes what about you you have a new year's resolution 
Um, well, since no one else wants to give one, uh, I'll hold myself accountable to uh, eating the healthiest that I've ever eaten before in 2022. And right. uh, just keep it real vague. <laughs> Not, nothing specific. Just at the end of the year being like, I ate better this year than I did in 2021. Because I, I always want to be better about With that. it being that vague, how are you going to measure it, you think? Okay, you know what? On second thought, I'm going to say I want to eat... 14 deep dish pizzas <laughs> to completion. <laughs> if, if, if that's eating healthier, then. <laughs> you know we what? Did, I want to eat healthier this year, too. We did, yeah, you know what? Let's all eat a little healthier this year. <laughs> all right, let's get let's nice. get back on course here. Okay, so, um, Josh, let's talk a little bit about the origins of you with music. You've been playing trumpet for a very long time, but let's talk about the very, yeah. very beginning of, of everything. Very, very beginning of everything. I started playing the trumpet in fourth grade, and at my school, everyone had to be in band. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a choice. It, I was in like a small private school, and they didn't have enough kids, so if everyone wasn't in band. There wouldn't have been a band, and uh, you know they were like giving everyone instruments, and someone, I guess, gave me a trumpet, and I, I was able to like make a sound. It wasn't, it couldn't have been good. <laughs> but the fact that I could actually make any sound, they sent me home with it. And then uh, I just started practicing. And, and I think I'm like, you know, a little, little OCD, ADD, whatever, whatever it is, it's like helped me out over the years uh, to uh, be focused and practice, I think. Nice. And were you, before this, for, do you feel like this was kind of forced on you uh, in the same way that, you know, your school made you do this because you had, didn't have enough kids. I mean, were you into music at that time or did oh, you feel well, like, well, it, you know, I enjoyed like playing, you know, like making loud noises, I guess <laughs> like, I enjoyed playing. And like, I, like my, I never was, I never had to be like coerced to practice. Like yeah. I always just like wanted to practice, like whether it was for a little bit or a long time it was like, I was into it. And I think it, it wasn't like, impossible for me to begin with you know i didn't have like like these big struggles sure it was challenging and i had to practice and like get better and like you know i wasn't great for a long time but it wasn't like it wasn't frustrating ever you mm -hmm. know it was like fun and enjoyable so i wanted to practice and uh fortunately my parents encouraged me and they got me like cds and uh they you know took they got me lessons and they like took me to concerts and stuff so you know they saw the arts and like, okay, this is like a good thing to encourage. And, uh, uh, so, you know, I kind of just kept up with it until, you know, it just like became a bigger and bigger part of my life. And then I'm in high school and I'm like, you know, doing marching band and jazz band and orchestra and like all the things. And then like my friends, they're all, they're all applying to music school. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll go to music school too. But if you would have asked me, like, years before, like, would I go to school for music, uh, my answer would have been no. Like, before high school, I was going to 100% be, like, a scientist in some capacity. Gotcha. Because I love, I love science. Nice. So you, you feel like you kind of stumbled into it almost. Like, your friends were doing it, and you decided, okay, maybe I guess this is a future that I have with this. Did, did you where, – where did you go to school for music? Uh, so – well, uh, so I've got uh, my undergraduate. I went to Oberlin uh, Conservatory, which is in uh, Northeast Ohio, uh, about uh, 45 minutes west of Cleveland. 
and that's like a you know pretty uh, well known music conservatory. And then for my master's degrees, I went uh, t- to uh, Boston University. Oh, nice. So a lot of a lot of trumpet lessons, a lot of years like playing in school, but um, that's you know trumpet is like a very unforgiving instrument. So you, yeah. you got. Well, I have a question with when it yes. comes to like when you first start started playing the trumpet, was this something where you you were you felt like you were naturally pretty good at at this thing? Because whenever somebody becomes pretty proficient at something, I'm always curious if it's something where you immediately could tell like, ooh, I have definitely some natural skills in this. So if I if I spend some time, I bet I can be really good at it. Um well, I definitely had like a natural aptitude for it. You know, it's like some people can't hold a pitch like like they're tone deaf, like music's just not for them. Some people have like terrible rhythm. Uh my mom loves music and she is a teacher and she loves singing and you know, it's like but she doesn't necessarily have like very great time. You know, she doesn't have like like the abilities that that would be for like a professional musician. Um, and she kind of acknowledged, she's like, I love it. And, you know, I used to take piano lessons, but like I wasn't very good. So it's like, um, for me, it it was never like that I had any of these obstacles with, with rhythm or time or or like some musical concepts that like I, I just like couldn't get, like I just couldn't grasp. So I guess there was like some type of, of like, aptitude that was like there to begin with um that through years and years of practice you know it kind of uh got refined yeah because i partially asked that because in in full transparency i tried uh to audition for the band because you weren't you didn't automatically I, i i mean i think you were automatically in it but you had to like go around and see if you could play the instruments and i literally couldn't make a single like noise out of the trumpet or any of the other brass instruments. I fully intended on being in the band, went around, failed at every instrument. And then I was just like, you know what? Forget it. This is, this is not that's for me. You, that's when you do drums or something. You just like, when you're just like smacking something, that's what I should have done. Like a thousand percent if yeah. I wanted to do it, but yeah, I guess not. Our school had a, you had to do music in some capacity. Basically, it, when middle school started, you went to orchestra for a week so you could play violin, viola, cello, bass. Uh, and then there was band, which had, you know, <clears throat> brass and woodwind instruments. And then there was choir. And you'd think I'd sing a lot. I'd just automatically join choir. But my uh, the orchestra instructor played uh, Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On on the violin, and it hooked me. So I joined the orchestra. Uh, really? I don't think I knew you. Wait, yeah. For how long? That was just that one year. I oh, was in okay. the orchestra for that one year. That's news to me. I definitely yeah. am surprised. Well, I was kind of disappointed because I wanted to play violin, but my hands were too big, so they made me play viola, which is, I mean, it's just like one string lower than a violin, but uh, it wasn't uh, wasn't my favorite, and I went to choir the next year. But uh, yeah, Viola is like the, it's like the, like the step sibling. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely doesn't have that allure as, as the violin does. Yeah. So, so do you have an affinity for, uh, 
brass instruments in general? Like when you when you listen to music, the stuff that you like, I'm assuming that you gravitate towards stuff that is heavy in that area. Whereas like I would, I, I tend to gravitate towards like piano stuff because I play piano with maybe even some strings kind of because that combo is really nice. What, what do you gravitate towards in your listening? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of my listening is is based on like, so I have like different categories of listening that I'll say. It's like, uh, if there's any music that I'm working on that I'm like, I have a concert, things that I have to like learn and, and practice, it's like, I have to listen for that. But it's that type of listening is like, it's like active, like analytical job listening. But when I'm just like listening to music, yeah, it's like um, a lot of horn stuff. I love all the, you know, the, the, um, I mean, I listen to, you know, everything from, like, pop music that's happening today to, uh, you know, I could listen to Stevie Wonder all day. You know, it's like you have, like, classic Motown or rock or, or you know, R&B. It's like so much of that has got, like, amazing horns in it. So there's a lot of great stuff there. But good melody. It's good music. If it's catchy, it's, like, it's cool. I I uh, I have a uh, reasonable tolerance for a lot of, uh, of pop music, I'll say. Yeah. So what part of this uh, musical journey did – at what point in time were you like, okay, I, I'm actually like getting pretty good at this, and not only do I want to pursue it um, through college, like I want to be a traveling musician at some point because I've talked a lot about this with Brandon because Brandon used to be – would you say a full-time musician? What, yeah, what I mean say? I dropped out of school to – pursue you know a career in in songwriting and music and stuff yeah so at at what point in time do you start realizing like i want to take this as far as i as i possibly can uh good question well i really like there i there was definitely like a switch that flipped like in 11th grade that i like became like serious about music like i was into it definitely before then but like it wasn't like occupying all of my all of my day and time um, up until eleventh grade, and I heard this recording of Wynton Marsalis playing the Carnival of Venice, and it's like this so you know old cornet solo, and it's really very very technical, and it's really fast and flashy and exciting. And I heard it, and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Like, I've never heard anything like this on the trumpet. And then I wanted to like do that. So I went to my teacher. I'm like, I want to be able to play this piece. And he's like, okay, well, I'll teach it to you, but, like, there's a lot of techniques you don't even do, so it's going to take you a long time. So um, I basically started practicing, like, two, three, four hours a day, like, every day for, like, three months, and then I could play it. And once I was once I played it, I pl- you know, I signed myself up to keep myself accountable uh, for the solo and ensemble, which is, like, when you, you know, perform and they and they give you a grade. And I played it to a room full of people, and it was cool. And then, like, after that, it was just, like, opportunities. Like, because all the band directors in the area, some of them were in the, you know, in my performance. And, like, people heard. They're like, oh, here's a young trumpeter who really is practicing and, you know, seemingly has uh, their act together. So then I got invited to be, like, in different bands. And, like, my my schedule was, like, super busy. Um so that's like what led me to school. I'm like, when I'm in school, I just did a music degree. So like, I didn't have anything to fall back on. So I was like, 
I'm going to do music and I'm going to perform and then I'm going to teach. And that was basically like what I thought I was going to be doing once I graduated. You know, it's like, I, I feel like I was, uh, you know, I had a lot of ideas of what I could do with music and I did a jazz degree and a classical trumpet degree. So like, you know, I had like a lot of variety that I wanted to be involved with. Um, so I think that's just kind of kept options open for me in, in performance and in my music career, as opposed to if I would have gone into school and been like, I'm going to play trumpet in an orchestra. Like that's the only thing I want to do. And a lot of my colleagues, you know, that I went to school with, they did that. Um, but that's like a very, very narrow path. So, uh, I had like a pretty broad path. Uh, so it wasn't specifically like touring musician. It was like, I love playing music. Like I want to be able to basically play everything. And it's just been that like the last five years I've, I've been on the road uh, considerably. Yeah. Well, I, I'm really intrigued by this because like Steven said, I, I, I did drop out of school and I was pursuing a, a very broad sense of, I just wanted to be a singer songwriter, you know, I, I, I didn't go to school for that. And I, I always like look back at my, my choices and I wonder maybe if going to school and maybe developing some of the skills needed to feel efficient at writing music um, would have been better, a better path for me. But making a decision like that, like putting money into an education specifically in something like music, which, you know, I don't know if you felt a fear or boxed into like, you know, what's my security of a job going to look like when I get done with this? I mean, what was your support system like? in terms of like, where they're like, yeah, go, go do this be, uh, um, you know, do music. What was that process? Yeah, well, I, def I definitely heard from like some of my family. They're like, maybe you should also major in business or maybe you should also major in something. And I'm like, okay, I'll look into it. Right. But it was like, no, I'm going to do trumpet. I'm going to do music. And, um, since I went, since I like grew up in Northeast Ohio, I'm from Akron, Ohio originally. And I grew up in Akron and I went to school in Oberlin. It's an hour away. Uh, by the time I graduated from undergrad, like I was already in the scene. Like I grew up in the scene and I was there and I was playing gigs before I graduated. So by the time I graduated, I had students, I had gigs. Like I was able to, you know, pay my bills. I was able to be busy as a, as a musician and the cost of living in, in Cleveland, you know, I moved to Cleveland. I was like, um, cost of living in Cleveland is, is very, very, uh, cheap compared to, you know, a city like Chicago right. or New York or, or any other, you know, like big, uh, you know, major music hub in America. Um, so I never really like felt that I was, you know, uh, like against the wall or like I had like, uh, uh, like this dread or, or like, oh my God, like how am I going to make it? Like, how am I going to make this work? Because, you know, like by the time I graduated, I was already, I was already working. Right. That's nice. I mean, th that's one of the tough things about, I mean, just college in general is feeling the security outside of it, but it's, it's nice to hear that you had already kind of set yourself up for success with some of the gigs that you already had going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, um, I won't discount. I have, you know, like had great, 
um, support from my family. Like, you know, it's like going to, so for undergraduate, like I had help for going to college. Uh, I took out loans for my master's degree, you know, and then that was like, I took time off after Oberlin and it's like, I was gigging in Cleveland. I was saving up money. I'm like, I want to get my master's degree. And you know, it's like, I knew that it was going to then be, uh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of loans. And, you know, like to me, that seemed like a good investment. Like I'm going to get better. I'm going to play better gigs and, uh, you know, ended up working out. Yeah. One last thing before we get into maybe like the more, broad content creation aspirations, um, a decision like that, you know, an investment into like a master's degree, what, what made you like, what made it worth it? Because, you know, if you, if you were already working, you were already doing stuff, was it just like you wanted to learn more? Was it, this would give you better opportunities? Yes. Better opportunities. Like I was already doing stuff, but like, you know, I was playing these gigs and like, you know, I was playing a, and I wanted to play the next level. I wanted mm. to play the next level. It's like, and in order to, to get to that next level and to really kind of, uh, um, you know, raise, raise the level of my training all around. I knew that, uh, a master's degree certainly wasn't going to hurt anything. You know, it was, it was going to help. Yeah. So as Brandon said, um, I, I did want to dive in a bit to the next chapter of some of this stuff, which is the content creation aspect, because this is actually how I was connected to Josh in the first place is Josh has a YouTube channel. He's got uh, over 2,300 YouTube subscribers at the time of this recording. And, um, your content is very, very niche in the fact that, if you are a trumpet player, it is like probably like uh, exactly what you would want. It has everything yeah. geared towards that person. But uh, for for people who maybe come across your channel, can you give us just the background on how somebody starts a YouTube channel like that? Was there a, a moment yeah. in time where <laughs> you saw a YouTuber and you just kept watching them over and over and over again and you oh. said, I want to do this? What, what's, the, what's the story behind YouTube? Yeah, well, I like... I've been like a, a, a YouTube uh, junkie for like many years. And, you know, it's people like Casey Neistat. And, and I remember following Peter McKinnon, like when he, he maybe he had like 100,000 followers. You know, it's like, I remember like following these creators that I'm watching. And I'm like, man, I love this. It's like so interesting and like so unique. They've like used this platform. And like, I'll take it back like even way, way, way further. Uh, as far as like content creation, um, I used to watch Wine Library TV like way back in the day um, with Gary V. Like so long ago that I I'm actually like friends with Gary V on Facebook because I friended him like before he got famous. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> and like he doesn't go on Facebook and like like I, he's not gonna look or answer any messages I send him. But it's like I remember watching his wine channel on the internet and be like, this is awesome. Like I'm going to find him on Facebook and friend him like when Facebook first was, was happening. So, you know, the whole online creation thing, I've kind of like, I guess I've been intrigued for a very long time. It's like, okay, this was cool. And then like, once I saw what was possible on YouTube with, you know, what Casey does or, 
or you know you look at the insane things that mr beast is doing now uh you know like all these creators it's like this is so cool and for me for many years i used youtube basically as like like i had a channel but like i never really posted to it i used it basically as as like a placeholder where i could put a couple videos so that when i was booking gigs like i could send an email and like my videos but at you know during covid you know at the beginning of the pandemic basically i was like okay um i finally have time i'm not on the road to film a trumpet course and it's something i've been was working on like for a year before before the pandemic to film my online trumpet course and this is like going to be my online teaching because I was teaching Skype lessons for many years and I started filming and I started like making some of these videos and I started looking at them and I'm like these are not good <laughs> like I I have terrible camera presence don't know how to edit <laughs> like this is not good at all so I'm thinking of something like, okay how what can I do how can I get better like I need reps I need to just do this over and over so I looked at my YouTube channel and I kind of looked through like the handful of videos that I had uploaded over the years. And it, they were really just for booking gigs or for some of my students. There was like one or two videos that I made about trumpet mutes. So if you if you see a trumpet player, like, you know, they, they have these things, they stick in the end of the bell and it changes the sound. Miles Davis used them, Dizzy Gillespie, you know, you got a really cool jazz effect and and, and different uh, tonal colors. And I made some videos like years ago about trumpet mutes. And like, I just didn't pay attention. And then I looked on my YouTube channel. I'm like, oh, that has like 20,000 views. I'm like, I guess people are interested in this. And I had been collecting trumpet mutes. So I'm like, okay. Uh, and as a way to like get camera time and experience like filming and editing, I'm going to do a YouTube series and it's going to be about trumpet mutes and you know, everyone likes alliteration. So I called it mute Monday. Although I like <laughs> post videos on Tuesday and Wednesday. It's <laughs> really bad. I'm really bad. I'll be like, this is your midweek edition of mute Monday. <laughs> Just yeah. because I don't even know what day it's going to be posted. Um, so I started doing that, but so that was, you know, it was like premeditated. It's like, okay, I'm going to have like a niche. It's like, but some of it was just based on like, this seems like it would be popular. And this is like something that I'm interested in. Like I knew I wasn't going to do it every single week. Like if I wasn't really interested in it and people probably weren't going to like feel that energy if it wasn't something that like I cared about. So I just started doing these like weekly mute videos and it kind of like really took off in the trumpet world and it like started making a lot of uh, traction and opportunities. So was there any part of you, because it sounds like you knew you wanted to start a YouTube channel. Was there any part of you that had any like other ideas that you really wanted to get off the ground, like other things you experimented with before you landed on this? Because I don't know too much about the, the older videos, but it seems like a path was sort of laid for you. It, it's, it's somewhat similar to I was putting out videos and then I released one about Chicago and it got the most views and I was like, oh. Well, this is easy to talk about because I live in Chicago. So what, what about your background with that? Um, really, I just like I didn't have the time. I, I think some of it was just a big part of it was like committing and being like, I'm going to create a Internet like facing personality. 
where I'm like talking to the camera and I'm like trying to create that relationship with with the viewer as opposed to um, like any of my older things were like super. I mean, they're like I can't watch them, but they're <laughs> they're like it's like super formal, like in the teaching, like teaching sense, you know? Yeah. And like no one wants to go on YouTube and like see something that is that is like that reminds them of sitting through a lecture in yeah, a, yeah. in a classroom. I get that. And that's like what my old things were and I'm like this isn't it. Like I don't want to look at that. Uh some of them are like really good content and people still watch them and and I get a lot of views off of them still, but um I think for me like a lot of it was just like getting to the point that I had the you know comfort like confidence to be able to like pull it all off the one the way i wanted to and that kind of even revolved around like having the right gear and having the you know skills to edit it to make it look the way that i wanted and then the knowledge and and like ability to present it the way that i wanted fortunately for a long time i've been into like photo video gear so i like had a lot of reasonably decent gear certainly like much better than any of my musician colleagues mm -hmm. but like from a from a content creator standpoint it was it was pretty decent actually yeah so when you were putting out these videos did any part of you because you and, and this is i feel like it's come up in every single episode that we've done recently which is this sort of balance between your nine to five and the content creation was there any part of getting involved making these YouTube videos where you felt like it might take away from what you were doing with strictly music, or did you or, or like what, well, what that's is that crazy thing. Like? That's the crazy thing because I launched my channel like basically during lockdown. Like I didn't have a nine to five. I didn't have like I didn't have any gigs. Like I didn't have have like um, a specific thing that I could have done really with music, even if I wanted to, because like all the theaters and venues were shut down hmm. across the whole country, like by government orders, like you can't have more than this many people in a room. So that's when like a lot of musicians kind of like started to, to jump into that. And uh, I was also um, running a, a pretty big Facebook group and I'm still one of the founders and moderators of this, of this, uh, uh, trumpet group on Facebook. It's got like close to 9,000 trumpeters. And we were doing like live streams every week, like two live streams a week and uh, interviewing people. And I was like, you know, ho moderating and hosting a lot of those. So um, I'll say that was like the beginning, the beginning of lockdown, like leading into the summertime, like I was doing that. And that was like getting me on the camera and getting me in front of people and doing that a lot. And I'm like, okay, I've got this. And then like, then I felt comfortable and like able to uh, do the whole do the whole video thing. And when I first started doing videos on YouTube, it was like I started posting a lot, and um, I you know I was pretty slow with editing. Now I'm like really so much faster. I've posted like nearly like 80 videos or whatever. It's like I posted a lot, so it's like I'm way faster. But I was still spending you know 20, 30, 40 hours. I was spending a lot of a lot of time making videos from the get-go yeah so i i don't know if this is ever gonna happen but let's say a future does happen where everything's open back up 
you know, exactly yeah. how it used to be. And, this you know, be like March. Yeah. What, how, how will YouTube or content creation fit into that stuff? Uh, so like I'm, I'm, I'm in it for the long run. Like I'm going to keep doing it. Um, I am filming the course. Like the course is going to get out now. Um, hopefully, uh, relatively soon, um, in the grand scheme of things. And, uh, you know, the channel's like been getting great traction. I've gotten great opportunities just from my videos. Um, I've gotten a lot of free trumpet mutes, which is, you know, I guess that's cool. Yeah. Um, just, you know, a lot of companies like sending me prototypes and like, but then a lot of like really well-known and famous trumpeters have messaged me like, and been like, Hey, I watched your videos. Like, give me a call. I want to talk about this or, you know, whatever. And it's like, um, oh, this is actually like having an impact in the trumpet world. Um, so I can see in my in my niche that it's making a big difference. Um, but I did so. I went to uh, I went to Vid Summit um, a few months ago, and uh, which is you know amazing and, and crazy YouTube conference. And one of the big takeaways from that. Um, was that I actually needed to expand my niche because, like, trumpet mutes is like only nerdy trumpet players care about trumpet mutes. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> it's it's like too niche. It'd be like if you had a shoe channel and you were just talking about like shoelaces or something. It would be like <laughs> I can get like, into that. <laughs> it is like it is like so niche. So uh, yeah, so I really am like now trying to like expand that umbrella to be like more more trumpet stuff not just not just trumpet mutes is there any fear with that cuz one thing that we've talked about a lot is sort of accepting that i think it's easier for an audience to consume your content if they if they understand the message and a niche definitely helps with that but it can really as a creator you want to have the freedom to do whatever you want so is there even I don't know how much you pay attention to like maybe your growth or your success, you know, uh, analytic wise, but is there any sort of reluctance or fear of like, if I start broadening out my reach, how will that impact that kind of stuff? Uh, well, in my experience, actually, like every time that I've broadened out, it's been positive. Positive. Okay. So, so like the the biggest growth that I see is like when I do videos that are more broad in, in scope um and it it's not that it's not that the mute people the people that are there because of the trumpet mutes it's not that they're going to be disinterested in additional trumpet content it's just that that alternate trumpet content is going to actually reach just a much greater audience right uh but I've done like some video um some interviews like I have an interview series, which I was super optimistic. Like I'm going to post one every week or every other week. And it was like a 15 part series. I filmed it all already. Like I filmed the whole thing and editing was just a nightmare. It took, it literally took forever. Like the first video took me over 60 hours to edit. And the second video was like 40 hours. And the third video was like, I'm like, I, it's just way, way, way too tedious. So I took like months months break from that and i just started editing the fourth installment of that um but the first the first installment of that video 
like kind of went viral as far as like any trumpet video on my channel is gone like that that went viral in the sense i got like six thousand views in a week mm. and i got like you know four or five hundred subs and like a thousand hours of watch time in a week you know it was like it was it was pretty big so um that's the type of content which like i've got it in the can i just gotta edit and release the other uh um 12 <laughs> the other 12 episodes mm-hmm. and as far as like i don't know if you do any of this i mean you, you talked about how you had that um that facebook group but in terms of like maybe even marketing your youtube channel do you basically just you make a video you edit it and you post it and then kind of let it do its thing or is there any extra effort that you're doing outside of that uh, to- yeah i kind of share it all over the place a yeah. big email list which i've neglected for a long time I, which which i should be sending updates on i don't um but like i'll share it in the groups i'll share it online i'll tweet it and you know put it in reddit and all the other toxic forums places where <laughs> <laughs> yeah reddit can be real toxic for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> that have you had a pretty good cuz i i'm not a reddit person at all but we've talked about before how both of us need to be better at marketing our stuff have you had success with reddit for this type of stuff um on a couple things like i find that like I don't know. I think that most of the people that use the Reddit uh, uh, trumpet um, and brass, um, you know, communities, like most of those people um, are are not like necessarily. I mean, they like hanging out on Reddit mm-hmm. like they and 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 I feel like a lot of them are people that are similar to me. So you're kind of just preaching to the choir. And then there's like a handful of people who just like, I don't want to say they're clueless, but um, it's just a lot of people asking completely clueless questions. And then a lot of people like jumping on them and just being like, <laughs> you guys are idiots. <laughs> it's like, a, it's not a place. It's not specifically like the place that, that you're going to have uh, really deep connections or, 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 experiences on sure i feel like there's like a couple people that that feel like it's their fiefdom and they and they kind of like chime in on everything and then every so so i do try and like be active in a sense where like i'll chime in like once or twice a week just so that it doesn't seem as though i'm like coming in and spamming because i know like reddit people hate that because they'll be like this is just an outside interloper and they're gonna like downvote everything uh, so I do, I do contribute to it to, uh, you know, be part of that community, but yeah, I, because we were just talking about Reddit. I do want to ask you about, because there, there's a lot of haters out there and I don't think there aren't necessarily haters in the sense of, I don't think that people just sit around and, and I guess actually sometimes they do, they just pick a random person and say, I want to hate on this person. It does happen. But, uh, I, whenever I get a hate comment that I think is genuinely funny. I always share it to Instagram because I think it's like, I, I basically put them on blast yeah. and say like, check this out because I'm not too impacted. There's been a few hate comments that I got that I was like, well, he's kind of right. That kind of actually does hurt a little bit because <laughs> I agree with them. But um, when it comes to these types of situations, you find yourself coming across people who go to your YouTube channel and write comments that uh, 
aren't exactly the nicest and, and how do you handle it? Um, that's only happened a couple times. And, uh, like, yeah, it's really, it's really only happened a couple times. And, and, uh, there's been a few people that I've blocked just because it's like, I see who they are. I like, or I know who they are. And I, it's just like, it's not worth my time. Cause as a trumpeter, like I'm a, you know, a full-time performing music. I've got a lot of experience. I've tour all over the country. I have CDs. I have a book. Like I don't need to like prove anything to, to these people. Yeah. So when someone starts like talking ignorance, I'm just like, I don't have time for this. Like delete block. Like, uh, yeah, I, I don't really give it that much thought. Sometimes I'm, I'm kind of like, yes, I got a hater. Like I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> that's how I am like, a little bit. Yeah, I, like, I get kind oh. of pumped. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, I got my first, like, negative whatever, whatever. Um, so that's cool. But, like, yeah, sometimes it's just, it's like you have people who are who think in their mind that they're an expert, and they start, like, writing, like, paragraphs <laughs> of nonsense. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to Like, there's nothing you can do. Like, you can't respond to it. Like, there's no scenario that you could change their mind. And so uh, I always tell this I, guy, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, so sorry. I know the yeah. best thing. Yeah. So I know the best thing for me and quite frankly, the best thing for them is to just block them so that they will never see my content again and I'll never have to think about them again. Yeah. I kind of like getting into arguments. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like Brandon sometimes is like, you know what? I'm going to battle with this guy. I was like, why are you doing this? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll let it go when it gets too far. Like I'm just like, all right, you know, it's what, it's it's run its course, but I don't know. I yeah. it's not even necessarily that I think I'm gonna change anybody's mind. It's just like sometimes I like the conversation and I like. No, I feel you on that because I've I've done that too, and then invariably I end up going back and deleting the whole thing. And yeah, like, I just I don't, don't even do it. Like I I I can't because I like I, every once in a while I read a comment and my blood boils a little bit, but I just realize, hey, this person went out of their way to write this. Like, that's kind of cool that they, they were so heated. Like the one I shared on Instagram <laughs> yesterday was really long and unbelievably so thorough. <laughs> and yeah. I just, I was just like, you got, can, can you just see this people? Like, this is unbelievable that someone got this mad about my takes on pizza, which I'm not, I'm the furthest thing from a food critic. Like I, 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 I never said I was one, but, but, the, but people, they just love to, to weigh in. Yeah. But I, I always get curious how people respond to this type of stuff, because the more people you have following what you're doing, the more people that you're going to have, that are going to come in and start trying to tear it down. So you, you have to, at some point, just allow yourself to not be impacted by by it as much as you can and just say, like th what I'm doing, I'm okay with. So I don't really care that these people are making these comments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that it's, uh, but you know, it definitely, it, I, I, I do dig it. It's like that. It is like a rite of passage. You know, you get that, those, those comments. And it's like, I don't, I don't remember who said it, but it was like someone they were like with regards to marketing and like, they're like, if I haven't like pissed someone off on Twitter before noon, 
Like, I know that I haven't been trying hard enough. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and that's like, that was like their take on like how they should be marketing and promoting. It's like, if, if I haven't gotten some hate before noon, like, I haven't been trying hard enough. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, back to, to what you were saying about it, Stephen, you know, not to get too, to dive into this too much, but I do think that there's a, there's a level, if you can, if you can avoid personalizing, I mean, cause it, there, it's out of your control. Somebody just coming in and, and dropping ignorant comments and stuff. So I, I think that's where I can still enjoy getting in an argument with someone over the internet is I definitely don't personalize it. I'm just like, I'm going to try to stay as objective as well, maybe not objective in the sense that what I'm saying is right. And it's objective truth or one, but just like, I'm not going to take it to heart of like, Oh, this person is attacking me and my beliefs. It's just like, this person has these ideas. I have these ideas. I want to present my information to them and whatever happens happens. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like I just straight up, whoever it is, like I'll see who it is. And like, you know, if it's their name as the handle or whatever, or if there's some way that I can like be like, okay, who's this? Like you click on them, go to their channel. It's like you have zero videos. Like, okay, you have zero credibility. (laughs) Or I'll like do a Google search of them and like put the, you know, such and such trumpet. And it's like, okay, like, you've played three gigs in your whole life and you're like an amateur play, like nothing. You have nothing to offer. Like, yeah. you know, you're, I don't want to say like, <laughs> you have nothing you're to scum. Offer. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but it's like, you know, that's different than, you know, a respected colleague, someone that I know that is like a, an, incre- you know, an excellent performer and, or educator where like they're offering their opinion it's like okay, I'm gonna listen to that and and give it some uh, consideration, versus like why am I gonna listen to you? Like, not not everyone's not everyone gets an equal say in mm-hmm. my comments. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That depending on who actually makes the comments, that's the reason why YouTube comments nine nine times out of a hundred, I just disregard it if it's just like some random comment bashing something I'm doing. But there are people who I respect that they might say something and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's probably a good idea. I, I should consider doing things differently. Cause I, I do think you can't be too stubborn when it comes to content creation, because there's always room to improve. And even though maybe you're really good at a couple aspects, there's always some aspects that you're not as good at. There's always weaknesses. I don't have any weaknesses when it comes to creation. I'm pretty incredible. So yeah, unless you're Brandon. Brandon's like he <laughs> yeah. he breaks the rules because he's just he's uh perfect at every content, especially that video uh the gains hundred and fifty pounds video. You watched that the other day. I did you? watch it. I watched uh, one of Brandon's old YouTube videos before, or it, it wasn't even a music video, mm-hmm. but it was a video that I was in with Brandon. Check it out, <laughs> Brandon J. Flippin. <laughs> it's great. The good old I have days. To watch that now. <laughs> <laughs> so how is your because uh, I, I asked you about your taste in music, I'm curious because oh, yeah. you talked about like being into Casey Neistat and um, you know even those those old days with Gary V. Like, how has your YouTube tastes changed since you started creating YouTube videos? Do you still watch the same stuff, or do you now explore it, the yeah. trumpet space on YouTube? 
Um, oh, no, no, I don't really follow very many trumpet players on YouTube. Um, mostly I'm following. So like definitely when I first was following, it was like storytellers that was like got me hooked. But then it was also just like, like tutorials and gear. It's like, you know, because like way back, like Peter McKinnon was doing lots of tutorials, but then it's like, you know, Jared Pollan or, or like, uh, uh, Tony and Chelsea Northrup or, you know, like whatever, like photo video channels that like I can look at or Adorama or whatever. It's like, okay, here's how I can learn. This is like how to edit and this is how, but then so some of them I still follow. There was like a lot of, of like creation, like creator channels that I followed, which was more like how to. And a lot of those I don't necessarily follow anymore. Um, I still follow Fro because he's hilarious. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the storytellers I still follow. But now, like, I've kind of expanded into into just people who I find interesting. You know, mm-hmm. it's like some of it, it, some of it I would categorize as like, um, like YouTube research in the sense like I'm trying to learn from them. Uh, not necessarily even that I think that their their content is uh, compelling, like Emma Chamberlain. I, I don't understand that whole thing. And I, and I like, watch some of the videos, but I'm just like, this, this it doesn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are, you know, a lot of other creators. What I've really noticed is, like, only a couple of creators in, like, the music space, like, in the music, in the musician like creator world there's there's not that many that are actually doing a really great like interesting job i mean there's a lot of creators who who have big followings um but to me there's not too many that i follow that i think are like super interesting and that have like really figured out the formula and i haven't yet but like they figured out the formula between how do we you know, present ourselves with our art form and, and our creative process and what we do. And how do we also integrate that with what we do? Uh, for me, like touring and traveling and, and playing, it's like, how do you fit all that into a package and keep it, you know, educational and interesting? And, um, you know, it's, it's really no different than like Peter McKinnon or other people who creators who like give you tips and they show you behind the scenes and they show you what they do. But then they also have an interesting personality, which is what, you know, I think really hooks people into what you're doing, unless you are like a, a strictly performance-based channel, which I am not. Hmm. Well, it's, uh, it's funny you say that because – oh, sorry. <laughs> Good job. I, I was doing a music YouTube channel as well, and I one of the reasons why it fell off for me was I didn't feel like I was bringing anything new to the YouTube space. Like I was doing covers. I would upload like an original song here or there, but I also, I've never felt proficient as a musician. I like, I'm completely self-taught and I, I don't really feel like I like in the way that maybe you could speak to, the ins and outs of being a, a trumpeter. I don't think that I could do that about being a piano player or even vocally. I just, I sang a lot. So then, you know, whatever. So it was for me, I was just like, yeah. all right, I guess I'll just post covers. And I was doing like a songwriter to songwriter series where I would break down what I, you know, the, I guess my emotional feelings on, on different uh, lyrics and stuff like that. But I definitely, 
I, when you talk about that, I, I, that was one thing that I struggled with in my creation process musically was what, what is my niche? Cause music is just this broad thing. Like I just do songs and stuff, but what am I actually bringing to the table? That's new and fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, yeah, I never really like got into these, that like, uh, cover cover thing and it's like i guess like to me like i really approached it from like the educational you know info you know information uh angle which is um i think maybe maybe an easier way to kind of like you know establish and like get in there because i mean i had years and years of of teaching where i was like one-on-one i'm working with students so it's like that felt comfortable to me and that felt like oh i can i have something that's unique and original that i can share um, without having to involve other people in a collaboration or cover other people's songs or write new songs and then record them. But, like, if you're writing and releasing original music and people don't know who you are, like, how are they going to find you? Right. Like, you know, they're, they're not going to find you until you make a cover of, of whoever because then, like, that name of that cover is going to pop up in their feed. Yeah, my thought on this has always been the reason why – YouTube is of interest to me as I've always wanted to create the content that I would want to see. So basically filling a gap in my own life. So when I make videos, I'm basically trying to be that person. And I feel like if nothing else, even though I've struggled with a niche on my channel um, over the course of having it, that's ultimately been what I have been to myself is this is the person that I would want to watch these videos. And I feel like that's really when you're at your best is when you're operating with that concept, because then you're more likely to answer that, that question, which is, well, people should care because it's like you personally would want to see that. So probably at least one other person would also want to see that. Yeah. When I first, uh, really, like, the first videos that I made for YouTube a long time ago was, like, uh, the couple ones that were, like, educational. 100%, it was, like, I would I like I want to watch this video. No one has made it. I think that this is a video that, need like, needs to be out there. And, you know, some of it was just frustration that, like, there's, there's some people who are on YouTube who've, like, just by default because they've been on there for a long time. Um, have like enormous followings, um, but they're not particularly excellent trumpet players or educators. Like they've just been there for a long time and and they've been consistent. So um, when people search for something, like their channels pop up first and it's literally like the last place I would tell any of my students to go and get information. Uh, So I made some... (laughs) So I made some videos like covering specific topics like way back that I then sent to my students and I was like, okay, this is, this is what it is. Um, so I guess in that regard, it was, it was a little similar also where it's like, this is, this is what I would want to see. Um, but when I did the mute thing, it's like, um, I really actually, it, it was the same thing with that as well. Cause like, if you go on my channel and you watch one of my mute uh, comparison videos, of which there are, I think, 43 or 44 now, um, I compare these trumpet meets like side by side. Like, 
you know, some videos I might have two, some videos I might have like 12, 11, you know, I may have a lot of them, but I do the demonstration in a way where it's like, I play one, then the next, and the next, and the next, and I edit, you know, and I cut it up so that it's like one right after the next, after the next, and they like seamlessly transition from one to the next. And no one previously had ever done that. And to me, it just seemed like, oh, this is like the best way that you can hear the difference between like one and the next. It's an A-B comparison. Uh, but no one had done it because like you need the info, you need the mutes, you need the editing capabilities. And it's like, and, uh, you know, I just had this idea and like, that's what I did. And that kind of became like my signature within the, that particular niche. And I've had, you know, uh, brands and, and people tell me like in other trumpet like categories, like with mouthpieces and, and other gear where they're like, Oh, we made a video and we're like modeling it after your mute videos because like, like it's such a great way to to edit something like oh like why didn't anyone do that before um so yeah i guess that was kind of uh um you know it's like i i wanted i wanted to put something out there that like it just it just wasn't there so it's like you got to do it yeah so before we we do the game at the end here uh yes. just to sort of wrap up this discussion with being a traveling musician being a content creator, is there any lofty goal or anything that you can see this sort of evolving into in the future? Where do you see this all going? Yes. Um, well, uh, I've got a couple goals. They're not New Year's resolutions, but they are goals. And uh, they, like just with regards to my channel, like I want to be able to build and grow the channel and use that as uh Ideally, like I think I can grow the channel to be big enough that it can it can actually be like a uh, you know a job. Um, but more so than that, the trumpet course that I'm working on, it's like you need an audience, YouTube's the audience. like that's the best it's it's the best platform that you can connect with people if you're trying to teach something. Um, so the the real goal is like grow the channel to as big as I as I think it can get. Um, I'm not sure like what the upper limit of a trumpet channel is, but like I have a friend who has a trombone channel and he has a quarter million followers. Um, so it's like, I know it's in the hundreds of thousands at least mm -hmm. like there's, there's brass players out there with, with that many, uh, uh, subs. It's, it's not like, you know, it's not like the trumpet is that that like uh interesting of a, a topic that it'll it'll ever uh there's no circumstance that any trumpet player doesn't matter who they are will will get 10 million subs <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> you know mkbhd or something it's like um but yeah i i can grow it into um you know a, a successful uh a business the course that's like the biggie like hope like the goal the real goal is like I want to do the YouTube thing. I love it. I love the creation and like the ability that I can just do what I want and like put it out there. And like, cause I'm play as a freelance trumpeter. Like I have my own group and I do things, but it's like mostly I'm a hired gun and I'm playing in other people's bands and I'm playing other people's music. And like, I get to bring my own personality to it, but, but it's like, it's not my band. And you know, it's, it's a, a lot easier to create my own YouTube videos than it is to like, tour with my band 
So um, that's, you know, that's like a great, a great way to get into it. But the channel's big enough and it's, you know, got great momentum and it's, and it's uh, getting me to the right audience, then the course is going to, you know, help people. And if I get enough people uh, sign up for the course, then basically the end goal is that then I can musically do whatever I want. Like I can tour with my group. I can play gigs with whatever bands that I want, but I don't necessarily have to play like every gig or like the gigs that I don't want to play, but that I'm playing them anyway because they're paying me money, right. you know? <laughs> I th I feel like those are all realistic, man. I hope, uh, yeah, yeah. Hope you get to that. I mean, especially if you're talking about, you know, you feel like there are some channels, um, you know, that might be the last place you would send your students to, but they've just been at it for a while. It sounds like there's a market out there for, for what you're trying to do. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's def like, there's people searching, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're typing in the box and hitting enter. So like, I just want to be on the other end when they're searching. Right. It's a good place to be. Hell yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right, then. Welcome to our segment, Movie Critics Must Go, brought to us by Brandon J. Flippin, who's going to be reading off each of the movie synopsises. Synopsises. Yep. Synopsises. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> the way this game works is Brandon's going to read off the movie synopsis, and then we are going to assign whatever percentage... <laughs> On Rotten Tomatoes, we believe the critics gave this movie, and we don't have a lot to go off of, obviously, because it's just a synopsis. So the uh, critics, not the not the people. Nope, no. not the audience. Critics, critics only. Now we have had situations where if there's not a critic score for whatever reason, we'll resort to audience. Oh, yeah. yeah, but for the most part, we've had good luck with that. Yeah, All and. Right. No pressure, but we have not had a guest win once. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you could be. The We're first, really good at it. Or you could just join the the group. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the first one I got here is called "Tomorrow I'll Wake Up and Scald Myself with Tea." This was made in 1977. The uh, synopsis is as follows. When his adventurous twin brother dies in a breakfast accident, Jan decides to impersonate him, Unwit unwittingly becoming a part of a Nazi time travel conspiracy. Jan is a decent, boring man living a decent, boring life as a rocket designer. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, no. What a synopsis. This can't be good. This can't be good. <laughs> so as our guest, you get the honors to, to give your first... Now, we typically ask for a score, and then if you have any thought process on why you'd give that score, that, that makes it a little more interesting. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it 37%. 37? Wow, you're not high on this one, huh? Uh, no, that, that sounds... And I'm only giving it 37% because it's, it's uh, about someone who died eating breakfast, and that just <laughs> seems like completely amusing and hilarious. All right. Um, but I feel like, you know, especially in the, in the 70s, it's like the whole Nazi thing was pretty fresh. You know, people were, were making a lot of movies where they were the villain, right? Because mm -hmm. it was like the most recent big war. It's like wasn't too many Russian Russian uh, evil, you know, villains at that time. So, um, yeah, I'm going to give it 37%. 37, all right. Steven, what do you think? 
Well, I uh, I've never been a big fan of breakfast to begin with. I I find the smell sometimes to be a bit nauseating. So. I can definitely relate and connect to the premise of this movie, but I need to take my own bias out of it because that could, uh, you know, point me in the wrong direction. I gotta steer clear of that. I don't think this movie sounds very good. It, it, it's uh, I like the fact that this movie was made, like that, the fact that somebody wrote this script and said, make this into a movie. And they said, yeah, yeah, we'll take this one over all the other scripts that were probably way better. Let's do this one. I think it's bad. I think it's got maybe some, uh, some awful funny moments. I think it's like a, 49%. I think it's a little bit better than 37% because I think it's got it's like it's creative, so it gets some bonus points. So I'm gonna go the opposite direction. With a title like Tomorrow I'll Wake Up and Scald Myself with Tea, I feel like you you definitely hit on some some really uh a demographic of people that maybe even have established a cult following. I feel like there there's a group of people out there who are just really into this, and I think uh, even some of those might fall under the critic category. Like some of these people are just like, this movie is gold. I I don't know how this doesn't have a bigger uh, audience. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this one a 75. percent All right, let's hear yeah, it. What yeah, is none it? of us have heard of it before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how most of these movies will go. To be honest, yeah. I so what I do is I search obscure movies. <laughs> yeah. All right, here we go. So, well, there's not an image for this, so this oh, isn't not a, good, a good sign. That's not a good sign. Come on. No, Ray, no it's... one has seen it. Okay, so there isn't a critic score. <laughs> oh, God. I hate on But there average. is an audience score. All so, right. <laughs> with 100 plus ratings, it's got a 90%. <laughs> <laughs> what? This movie is incredible. Dude, I told you, cult following, man. Ninety percent. Wow, that's Wait, one point, all, Brandon. It's it's, but that's like ninety people who worked on the movie rated it. <laughs> that's what I'm. And then, that's what I'm. And thinking. then ten people who saw it. <laughs> no, you guys are sleeping on this movie. I told you, this has a cult okay. following. We're people sleeping. love this one. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. So I was in last place. <laughs> yep. I mean that was a that was a tough one though. I mean we didn't even have a uh, yeah. critic score on that one. All right, the next one is called I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like Feel a Day. It's an animated movie made in 1994. Uh-huh. It's a very short synopsis. But how's it spelled? It's uh, F E L I D A E. Okay. Okay. It's a wise old cat helps a young cat solve feline murders in his new neighborhood. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> All right, Steven, you yeah. want to start with this one? So this is like Scooby Doo, but it meets Garfield. I guess. <laughs> Scooby Doo meets Garfield. Yeah, it's exactly that. That well, that was the second sentence in the synopsis. Well, okay, so the '90s is a very strong era for animated movies because this is where you get the uh, you got Aladdin, you got Lion King, you got a lot of big Disney ones coming in there. So I feel like this one may not hold up quite as well as some of those other ones. So I'm going to say that uh, because the 90s were so strong and that this movie, I feel like it's not really what people were looking for at that time. I don't think this movie did too well. I'm going to say that this movie is a 44%. 44%. All right. What do you think? I think that, that children liked this movie. And uh, I'm going to give it an 82. 82%. All right. 
Yeah. I think so people, I think I think the kids were into it. Okay. And you you think the kids and the being fact into that it, none of us can pronounce the name, I think it probably made it even more like interesting to children. Yeah, that's so. You do think that the children being into it translates to the critics being into it? <laughs> well, I think that the people. Yes. Yes. Okay. So what I was your so. forty four? Forty four. And you had what eighty two? Eighty two. Yeah. All right. So. Using a, both of your logic a little bit here, I think that because the 90s were so strong and this one, like we've never heard of this one, it flew under the radar. I bet specifically with critics, it's one of those movies where it's like only the, the real critics know the classiness <laughs> of Philly Day. That movie yeah. was, was a true art piece. And uh, I'm going to give this one a 93%. <laughs> I would be very surprised if it's high. Well, we'll find out. So much anticipation every time. Another one that doesn't have an image. That's good. (laughs) That's a good start. Uh, We got to fire Tony for the pre-research for this. All right. (laughs) There's no critic score. Well, here's the thing is I'm not allowed to look it up on Rotten Tomatoes beforehand because I I can't look at the score. (laughs) But Josh wins this round. It's got an 83% from audience. There we go. He knew it. Only one off. There was one adult. <laughs> and the one, one adult, adult also liked it too. <laughs> yeah, they liked it more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. All right, here we Not go. Not looking good for me. So this could be our last one. If you or yeah. I get it, it yeah. we end the competition. If Steven gets it, we have a tiebreaker tie at yeah. the end. All right, let's yeah. go. Um, so this one's called Dead End Drive-In. This one was made in 1986. Mm-hmm. Teenage lovers Ned Manning and Natalie McCurry become trapped in a drive-in, prisoners of authority in the 1990s. Um, I'll start with this one because I've gotten last both times. Um, I think, uh, you know, this one's got, you know, the teenage lovers thing was big. I also think the like the rebellious teenage thing was big. It's like, you know, it, a coming of age tale, uh, so to speak. Um, I kind of maybe not as intense as Red Dawn, but I get some. You know, like we're you're fighting against these authorities that are, are holding us. I'm going to give this one an 86. percent I think this one did well, um, especially for the era that it was released in. So 86 percent by me. All right, Josh, what do you think? I'm I'm going with the 77. Any particular reason? Yeah, I think like, you know, drive-ins was just like kind of kind of cliche. I mean, it was a thing, I guess, right? They were cool. I don't know how you get lost in one. It's not like you're <laughs> like you're running through a maze in the shining or something. It's like you're you're like stuck. I maybe I don't I don't understand it, but can't you know, it can't be there's nothing to me that seems scary about a drive-in movie theater. Okay. So definitely this fits the aesthetic of what I would imagine a movie in 1986 would be like. So I feel like this is what the people wanted for sure. But I feel like the fact I never heard of this movie before 
makes it a little tougher because my gut tells me this is a high percentage, but I've also never heard of it before. But I wasn't alive when this movie came out. And it's quite possible that I just, I don't have the knowledge. And with that, I think this movie premise sounds pretty good. I think that it's it's not maybe the greatest movie ever, but it's pretty close. 97%. 97. Wait. Wait, so wait, this movie came out in 1986. Yeah. When, does, when, when does the movie take place? The 1990s. The movie takes place in the 90s? Yeah, it says Prisoners of Authority in the 1990s. Oh, okay. I Somehow I got my decades mixed up. Anyway, I'm still I'm still sticking with 77%. <laughs> so, so, it's almost like a sci-fi movie because it's like in the future. Yeah. So 77, 86, 97. <laughs> yeah. We all, we all think it's a good movie. Well, folks... <laughs> We have an Everything Must Go podcast first. Josh wins this oh, one. No. Yes. So there's no critic score on this one either, but the audience score is 42%. Oh, so just by being it. closest to that, Josh takes this one, and he is the first guest to win our world-famous show, Movie Critics Must Go. How do you feel, Josh? Uh, I feel terrific. You should. I, yeah, yeah. You, Wait, so I mean, what do I win? What what do oh, you win? Oh, well, we we don't know. No one's ever won before. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, this is uncharted territory for we'll us. Have to, we'll have to think about we'll it. We'll figure it out. Give us some time. Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll think about it. Okay, great. <laughs> that hurts. I really. I was gonna guess a low percentage at first, and then I talked myself out of it. You can't second guess your gut, man. I know my gut was telling me this is not as high of a percentage, but. Oh. What can I say? Well, that's another incredible segment. Any anything else that uh, you want to say before we? Uh... No, I mean I, I appreciate you you being here, Josh. It's, it was really cool Thanks. to hear your perspective on a lot of this stuff because I think yeah, not only you know being a I say former musician like I still write and stuff, but I definitely am not in that world as much anymore. Uh, hearing your your path and your perspective on that stuff is really refreshing, but also just um, I feel like there are certain insights that uh, you've had even, I, I mean, I'll consider it a short time. If you just started YouTube in the pandemic, I feel like that's somewhat of a short amount of time to be in this space. It seems like some of the, your thoughts and perspectives on things um, I really respect and, and are making me think differently about how I approach some content. stuff. so I really appreciate you being here today. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. I'm, yeah. Appreciate uh, you having me. This has been fun. Definitely, yeah. Thanks for hopping on the show. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, um, yeah. If anyone uh, ever is interested in trumpet mutes, now you know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what, I guess where where can everybody find you? Um. So, uh, basically, everywhere online is at Josh Rosepka. Yeah, it, uh, it will put the spelling yeah. and, and links and stuff in the description yeah. for you guys. But uh, definitely go check them out. Give them a, a subscribe, follow yeah, all that ex- good stuff. Except, except on YouTube, it's oh. Josh for good music. Well, and that is a that is a very that's one of the only times I've I've been like so mad. <laughs> that's when Google got rid of. Remember uh, what was the Google uh, social media app they had? Google whatever whatever. Oh Google yeah, Plus. yeah, Google um, Plus, right? Was it Google Plus? Yeah, right. Yeah. So when they got rid of Google Plus, they like did some weird things with Google, and they, if you didn't have your, 
your name, you know, law, there was something where it kind of like reset some of the names and I had, it was YouTube, Josh was up again. And then like it was linked, but it, I, you had to like reconfirm it and Google plus something happened. So YouTube slash Josh Rzepka is actually some like dude. I think he like owns a pest control business. Yeah, or don't support or... that guy. <laughs> Not the right guy. He knows nothing like about kid, trumpets. <laughs> or it's like a kid that plays video games. Like I don't know. So I was like, I was so mad because like everything online I have at Josh Rzepka except yeah. YouTube slash Josh Rzepka music. Yeah. We'll make sure not to support pest control guy. We'll make yeah. sure to get everybody to you. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's where I am and uh, appreciate you guys. Yeah. Appreciate you as well. Well, yeah. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts, comments or questions about the show, feel free to reach out to us. We no longer have the voicemail, which we know all of you are really upset about, but you can email us emgpod at gmail.com or find us on all uh, your social media apps at emgpod. Uh, really appreciate you guys listening. And uh, if you want to be on the show, also feel free to uh, hit us up on those uh, social media apps or via email as well. So, um, yeah, we'll see you next time. Take it easy, everybody. Oh,